from Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church and Touchpoint Ministries. This is the Gary Talks About God podcast. I'm nervous because the beginning of my sermon was me going, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine, let it shine, let it shine, let it shine. And for the record going forward from now on, the, the sooner I start, y'all start singing, the sooner I stop, right? But I, I wanted to start with that because we weren't singing it today, but we all know it, you know. We, we, we all know that song. We learned it. I mean, I, you, you got to sing it in VBS every year, right, or Sunday school. And it's, it's a great theological truth. Um, some, of this, some of the simplest songs we teach, teach the kids have some of the greatest theological truths in it. You know, this little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. And that's exactly what we are told to do in Matthew chapter 5. As Jesus is talking to his disciples, he just came, you know, finished going through the Beatitudes, and he's using everyday objects to demonstrate and teach spiritual truth. He just told them that they were salt, and this morning he, he looks at them and tells them, hey, not only are you salt, but, but you're light as well. But how many times have we ever thought through what that means? It seems it's such a simple statement for Jesus to say that you are light. What exactly is he trying to communicate to us? What exactly does that mean for us today to be light? So let's read the words of Jesus and then dive in and answer that question. Begin in verse 13. It says, you are salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city set on the hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So this morning, let's look at what it means to be light. And the first thing, as Jesus employs that metaphor, is this. We're to be light in a dark world. Okay, well, that, that's, that's where we have to start. Just as the statement, you are salt, carries with it some presuppositions, so does the statement, you are light, carry some presuppositions as well. And the major, major one is, the world is a dark place. That the world is a dark place. Now, I know that... Matthew does not develop this as deeply as John, but when you go and you read the Gospel of John, from the beginning to the end, John discusses the difference between light and darkness. And he says that, that Jesus is the light. Well, you only need light if it's dark. right? If, it, if, it's, if it's not dark, you, you don't need light. But we live in a dark, dark world of, of sin and hostility towards God. And, and it thrives. We, we live now in a time where sin and open hostility towards God isn't just kind of on the sidelines. It's front and center and flaunted and, and for everyone to see. And I think sometimes we, we forget that. right? We, we get surprised that the world is a dark place. Uh, there was a group of pastors we were meeting together this past Thursday, and one of the pastors that was there, um, 
his name's Gregory Jones. He's doing an incredible work. And he's working in East Winston, a very difficult place. And he says, you know, sometimes people will come with me and we will go in there ministering to people. And then all of a sudden the people we're ministering to will start to curse or something. And this other person that I'm with, you know, who's with him helping, it's just like he goes, they're stunned. They, they can't believe what they heard. And it just, it, it just, they don't know what to do. They're frozen. And I think sometimes believers, we forget that the world is a dark place and looks very different than what we're accustomed to. We forget that sometimes unbelievers act like unbelievers. They do dark things because the world is a dark place. And it's a dark place because that is the natural state of man's heart. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And then I love it. At the end of that verse... It throws in this little, uh, I don't know if it's a parenthetical or whatever you call it. It says, who can understand? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand? And the reason I bring your attention to those last three words is because, in my opinion, those last three words validate the truth of the first part of that scripture. Let me prove it to you. Have you ever done something that just was out of character, that was mean, that was sinful, that was evil, and then you look back on it and go, I don't know why I did that. Right? You, ever, you ever done that? And the fact that we can look back and go, I don't know, or somebody comes up and says, you, you did this and you really hurt me, and you go, I, I don't understand why I did that. Well, the truth is, the biblical truth of that is because our hearts are wicked. And what comes out of our mouths didn't just originate in our mouths, but originated in our hearts. And what comes out of our mouths, as Jesus said in Matthew 15, 18 through 20, proceeds from the heart. For out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false witness, and slander. So when we do something that we can't understand, it's because it came from in our hearts that are, are desperately wicked and evil. Now take that evil and wickedness and multiply it times 8 billion people. Right? That's a, the approximate population of the world today. And what you find out is that will produce a very dark world. And this very dark world needs light. And that's what Jesus tells us believers we are. We are light of the world. Again, notice he doesn't say go become light. He doesn't say go grow into being light. He just says, you are light. It is an emphatic statement. And what we are called to do is to be the light into the dark world. We are called to be light that goes out and penetrates the darkness. So as, as, you, as you go through your life, as you go through your day, you ought to be like a little oasis of light in a dark world. That wherever you go, as you move around, the light is with you. And you are penetrating and overcoming the darkness of the world. So how do we do that? Well, that's our second point this morning, that believers shine our light to overcome the darkness. We are light in a dark world, and we shine into it to overcome the darkness. And as we talk about light a minute ago, I said we think about John, right? We immediately go to the, the, the book of John. 
And we go to John 8, 32, where Jesus says, I am the light of the world. The book of John begins, and in John chapter 1, where John is writing, says, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And then later on, Jesus emphatically states, hey, you know that light that shines in the dark world John wrote about in John 1, in John 8, 32, Jesus says, I am that light. And as, I, as Jesus shines his light into the world, makes it very clear, the darkness will not overcome the light, the true light that the world needs. Now, as believers, what has happened is Jesus has called us out of darkness, called us into his kingdom of light, and now he says, you are the light to the world. Just like last week, remember, I told you that Jesus has put restraining influences in the world, marriage, family, government, to restrain evil. And one of the things that he has put in the world to restrain uh, sin is the light that we carry. That we shine light into the darkness. He is telling you, go and, and be the light. Shine the light of the kingdom and the gospel of Christ wherever you go. Three ways we do that. Number one, we illuminate the way to Jesus. All right, we, we illuminate the way to Jesus. The world does not know the way to salvation. It, it just it just doesn't, right? You you can go out and, and and read all the pop psychology, and you can go out and read, and sadly, some cases pop theology, and, and you will realize that the world doesn't know. We again, we take for granted. We live in the Southern Belt, or excuse me, the Bible Belt in, in the South, that that everybody knows. Everybody don't know anymore. Right? You, you, again, you hear people say, you know, all, the wor all religion leads to the same place. That on, its, on itself is not true because just a, a general reading of world religions don't even validate that claim. Right? I mean, if you go and you read Hinduism or Buddhism or, or Islam and Christianity and go, do they all say that they get to the same place? And you go, well, this place, go, this one goes here and this one goes here and this one over here. I mean, even the religions don't support that. Yet the world thinks that way. All roads, well, you know, get us to the same mountaintop. You know, they, they, they want to make a very inclusive statement. The difficult part is Jesus makes a very exclusive statement when he says, I am the way and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Which means you can't go up the back side of the mountain and hope to get to God the Father. You've got to go through Jesus. And so as lights in this dark world, one of the things that we do is we illuminate the path, the one true path to God the Father, which is through Jesus Christ. We tell people, look, you're a sinner. And, and, and there, is, there is hope. You, you can be saved. And, and, and the hope that you're looking for is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Everyone is looking for hope. The question isn't, are they looking for it? The question is, where? And the world is looking in the wrong places because they can't see the path. Right? We see this now. 
if you, if you follow politics, and I don't suggest that you do, um, but one of the, the big conversations in, in the past probably 30 years, but really in the past 10 years, has been what do you do with the rise of what they're calling the nuns, N-O-N-E-S? What do you do with those who have no religious affiliation? Those who say that there is, 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 is no God. How, how, do you, how do you bring them into the political fold? And that's been the question on both Republicans and Democrats and the right and the left and everybody else. What, what do you do with the rise of the nuns? Because for so long, that category didn't exist. Or people wouldn't tell them on the polls. Okay? Let's, let's, let's give them, uh, you know, maybe assume that they say, I'm, I'm, I'm so-and-so. Well, my mom was Baptist, so I, obviously I must be Baptist. Or my mom was Methodist, so I, I must be Methodist. So why is there a rise of the nuns? It's because people ha- have ceased to believe. People have, don't see the path. They don't care to see the path. They don't, they don't want to see the path. That they refuse to believe that there is a God who is more powerful than they are and have authority over their life. And the problem becomes that once you start, stop believing that there is a God, it's not that you won't believe in anything. It's just now you believe in everything. I'll believe a little bit of this, and I'll believe a little bit of that, and I'll believe a little this, and this, and this, and this, and this, and this. And hopefully, one of my little beliefs in one of these multitude of things will be the right one. So the movement is not from God to nothing, but from God to any and everything. And you see this again in the world. right? You, you see this in the world. No, I mean, the, the perverse, sinful behavior of people that is antithetical to God's moral law. And they're wandering around in the darkness because they can't see the path, which is where we come in. As lights, we illuminate the path. I know what you're looking for. I know what you want. Let me show you the path to the person who can fulfill all the needs that you have. Let me show you the path to the person who died on the cross for your sins. Let me show you the path to the one who provides you salvation. Let me show you the right path. Because all the other paths that you're on are leading you to the wrong place. So we illuminate the path to Jesus so that Jesus can then pluck them out of the darkness and transfer them to his kingdom of light. That's so very critical. And, you know, I, I put this in here as, in my notes as I was thinking about this because you know the old joke, right, that, you know, 78.2 of statistics are made up on the spot. Think about it, you'll get it at lunch. Okay? I don't, I've, I've not seen any data that suggests that this is true, but I just, I just kind of feel like it, it, it is true, so, so bear with me. And, and it's this. Every person... Or the, or the vast majority of people who have come to Christ have come to Christ because somebody told them and showed them the path. I can't prove that every single believer that has happened to, but the vast majority of the people who are believers are believers because you heard the gospel from somebody else. 
right? You want, you want to see that that's true? Raise your hand if you've heard the gospel from somebody else. Somebody was light to you. Somebody illuminated the path to Christ for you. And that's what we're supposed to do. Right? That's the command in Romans 10, 14 through 17, where Paul is writing and says, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without somebody preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, but they have not all obeyed the gospel. So Paul is, is, is writing right there, and then at the very end of verse 17, he says, so faith comes from what? From hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So Paul outlines it and says, look, you've got to tell, you've got to show people and tell people about Christ. And what is Matthew writing through the lips of Jesus? Jesus is saying, be the light, illuminate the truth of the scripture so that people can see and know and recognize the path and hear the gospel. We illuminate the way to Jesus. That's one of those things that's kind of scary and, and, and awe-inspiring at the same time that Jesus would entrust us to illuminate the path. He does. Point people to Jesus. We use Bailey's, the podcast that Bailey was on the other day, and one of the things that they are teaching each other is to have a 15-second testimony that says... I was like this before Jesus, and then I met Jesus, and I'm like this. And then the, the turn is, the hook is to look at the, the person and go, do you have a story like that? Do you have a story where you had a life before Christ and a life after Christ? As the answer is no, illuminate the path. Because that's what believers are supposed to do. Secondly, believers radiate as followers of Jesus. We radiate. And this is a subtle difference between salt and light, all right? Salt, you sprinkle a little bit on the food, and, and it dissolves, and, and it's usually not seen, right? If you can see the salt on your food, you've probably put too much on it. But salt dissolves, and, and, and you can't see it. But light, however, when you're light, light shines forth so that the world will know that you are a believer. In our... The, Today, right, we, we, we are, have you ever thought about how much light we are surrounded by? I mean, there is, there is light everywhere, and you have the term light pollution, right, where you can't see up into the sky and really see the stars and the Milky Way because all the, the ambient light around you. You know, just walk outside tonight and just look at all the lights that are around you, from street lights to house lights to the, the the glow of, of Winston off in the, the distance, right? And the reason I mention that is because the audience that Jesus is understanding, they didn't have a problem with light pollution. Right? They, they, they didn't have to worry about too much light. So when Jesus uses the two analogies about sitting on the hill and a lamp on a stool, they would understand it very differently than we would today. Because when Jesus talks about uh, a, a city on, on a hill, you go to Israel and most of the cities would be built on top of hills. Why? Well, they're easier to defend, for, for, you know, are, are the, the biggest reason. At the same time, it's easy to see. So if you're out in the field pasturing your sheep, you could look up and you, you knew where the city was. You could orient your directions 
uh, according to where the city was. You, you can't hide a city that's built on a hill. If it's built in a valley, you can. At the same time, then you can't see the city. It's, it's, it's down in a hole. Then he talks about the lamp. He says people would light a lamp and set it on a high stool in the room so that, so that everybody could see it. You wouldn't light the lamp, put it on a stool, and then cover it so, so nobody would see it. it. It doesn't make sense. And the point he is driving home in both those analogies is don't conceal who you are in Christ. Don't conceal who you are. When you go out, the fact that you belong to Christ, it, it should just radiate off you. Right? It almost, I mean, think about it like a little buffer. Like you're walking around with a 10-foot buffer zone so that when you walk, somebody hits the light of Christ in you before you even get to them. They, they just know that you are a, a, your Christ's child. Just, it just radiates all. It, it's that unspoken. People just, they, they, they know you, they might not know that it's Christ radiating through you, but they just, they know you're different. We, we don't want to hide where we are. We don't want to hide who we, who we are. And if you combine the two analogies, imagine a city built on a hill. It's night, it's dark, and then all the houses have put a lamp in their rooms. So you're wondering and you're trying to find the way back to the city, and then all of a sudden you can look in the distance and you see all the little lamps flickering in the, in the house and against the darkness of the, the countryside. You would be able to see the city and you would be able to walk right to it. Why? Because it's not concealed. It's, it's not hidden. And just like the city on the hill is radiating out for everybody to see and the lamps are radiating out for everybody to see, we at Red Bank should just radiate and shine out to the world what it means to be a believer in Christ. They, they should just see it in our lives. But then finally, believers reveal the, the way to live. And this flows from the second, second point where he says down in verse 16, that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. And we're to live openly as the believer in Christ that we claim to be. And one of the things that we do is we live so that others can see our good works. Right? This includes the Beatitudes. Uh, live them openly and unashamedly. Right? You want, how, how do I radiate to the world? Live the Beatitudes out in the world, and you're radiating Christ. Live the fruit of the Spirit in the world, and, and you're radiating Christ. And we do it so that people will see our good works. So here, here we have Jesus saying, hey, you're going to do works in the world. You're going to do good works. And when we think about good works, we need to understand that in the Bible, that the word good when it is linked to works, it is linked back to God. Okay? Really, you could make an argument that the word good is always linked back to God because it's not a subjective ideal. Good is found in the objective reality that finds its basis in the perfection of God because God is good. 
Right? We're, we're told that in Scripture that God is good. And so when we go out and do good works, the works that we do then are linked to the goodness of God. Which is why people can look at your good works and glorify God. Because the good works are good when they are done for the glory of God. The good works are good when they are done to uphold Christ. The good works are good when they point people to Christ. And, and we don't do the good works to make us believers. We do the good works because we are believers. It is an outflow of who we are. It's another way to radiate light in the world by doing good works in the world. And as they see those good works, it's going to point to Christ. Now, I know later on in the Sermon on the Mount that Jesus warns us against praying and fasting for other people to see. You remember that? He says, don't go in the prayer closet and hide, or if you're fasting, put on, don't put on sackcloth and ash. You know, don't draw attention to yourself. And that's the key. That's the key difference. Jesus is warning people against religious works in order for others to see them. Right? Remember the story of the, the, the widow and giving her offering and the person who went in before and, and basically was walking from one end of the temple to the other, waving their, their tithe check. Here, look, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me, look at me. Look. Everybody looking? Everybody looking? Look, no, don't see me. Look, look, look. Right? And Jesus says, don't be like that person. Let's be like the widow who goes and takes the last of, of what she has and, and quietly offers it to the Lord so that the only person who sees is the Lord. That's the difference. If we're doing good works to attract to ourselves, the works aren't good. The works are selfish. If we're doing good works so that people can see our religious piety, then the works aren't good. They're selfish. The good works we do are performed so that people will end up glorifying God. And that's what Jesus says. He says, so that the world, so they, they will see you and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. They just, they, they know it's coming from somebody else. And when they see the good works, and then the good works provide an entrance way to again, to what? To radiate and to illuminate and shine the light of Christ into their lives. Because what we're doing is we're living a life of obedience to God and people see that and it draws people to God because they want the abundant life that we have that is demonstrated through our good works. So we're told to go out and reveal the way to live for the people around us. But then finally, Jesus reminds us at the very end that we must not hide our light from the world. Right? We must not hide our light from the world. Let your light shine before others. Let it shine. Right? Sung that song. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Why? Because that's what light does. Right? It, it, what does light do? Light shines. And when Jesus says, you are light, you don't have to light it. Right? You, you don't have to trim the wick. You, you don't have to fill up the pot with oil. You, you, you don't have to, if you've got a house with a, uh, what is it called, a slider, you know, where you can adjust it a dimmer, you don't have to adjust the slider. You don't have to worry about it going out. 
Right? You, you, you didn't start it, and neither can you stop it. But we can't hide it. And Jesus warns us to not hide our light. Now think about that. Think about it for a minute. He tells us that we are light, which means that when you leave today, you can't not be light. You can't go to work tomorrow. You can't go to the mall later this week. Do people even go to the mall anymore? I don't know. You can't go to the restaurant later. There is nowhere you can go where you're not light because you are. The only thing that you can do is hide it. The only thing that you can do is to hide it. Jesus says don't hide your light. Don't, don't hide it. Let it shine forth for everyone to see. And the interesting thing about light is it doesn't take a lot of light to overcome the darkness. Now, I know, again, we live in a society where you walk in to the, the kitchen, and if you're like me in our kitchen, we got two LED circular lights up there. You know, you turn that on in the middle of the night, and it's like, Rah! you know, it's bright. You can see everything. We all have those big, powerful lights in our house that, that overcomes the darkness. But you know what else most of us also have in our house that overcomes the darkness? A little four-watt 16 lumen night light that will light up the whole room too. Light up the hallway. And I bring that up because you're light. And you may think, well, Gary, my light's not very big. Jesus didn't say go be a great light. He just said you're light. And the light that you have is going to overcome the darkness because it's just that powerful. Don't hide it from the world. Let it shine out so that the world can see that you are the light that Christ has called you to be. That you are different. So that they can see and go, man, there's, I, I want to be like him. I want to be like her. I want to be light. You ever been around somebody that when you're around them, they just, they just drain your energy? You ever been around somebody like that? It's just it's like, oh, man, this person just saps my energy. Don't be that person. That's not who we're supposed to be in Christ. In Christ, we're the person who is light so that when people are around us, that we're not, they're not, their energy is not being drained. Instead, they're being refreshed and renewed and marveled at the light that we are shining into their lives so that it just makes this desire for them to want to know why we are different. And that's because we are light. Go be the light in the dark world. That's what Jesus is telling us to do. And I want to, as we end this morning, I started with a song, not go finish with a song, but go end with a nursery rhyme. You all learned it as a kid. Who, who remembers learning the star as a kid? Y'all remember learning that as a kid? Who remembers learning a twinkle, twinkle little star as a kid? The original name of the poem is the star written by Jane Taylor in 1806. And fair warning, there is nothing, she did not write it with any deep theological meaning, okay? She wrote a nursery rhyme for kids. But I like the third verse. Did you know it had more than one verse, 
actually has five. All right, if you go find the study guides, there's a link to it. You can read all five verses. But I like the third verse. It says this. Then the traveler in the dark thanks you for your tiny spark. He would not see which way to go if you did not twinkle so. As corny as it may sound, <laughs> Jesus says that you are light. And when you leave today, as the poem says, go twinkle in the world around you so that the weary traveler will know where to go. And they will know which way to go because you are the light in the dark, dying world that the world needs. The Gary Talks About God podcast is a production of Touchpoint Ministries and Red Bank Missionary Baptist Church in Germantown, North Carolina. Want to learn more? Visit our website at www.redbankmbc.com. If you enjoyed this content, please like and subscribe. Thank you for joining us.